Hey, teachers of littles out there. Yeah, you. We see you. Tired of pinning, Facebook grouping, and hoping you struck idea gold? Are you at your wit's end and need a safe space to feed you and get the support you need both in and out of the classroom? Then this podcast is for you. Join Renee Pena Lopez, an early childhood learning specialist who is in the fray with you. Get ready to have an honest and real conversation around early childhood and the challenges of play for littles while learning to connect the dots through guided play strategies. Get ready to sit back and listen in on today's conversation. The magic of littles starts now. Hi, teachers of Littles out there. I'm Renee, Magic of Littles. I have Jeanette Washington here with me. She's an amazing speech therapist. We met each other on Instagram, what, you said about four years ago? Yes, oh about my four goodness. years ago. Flying by. <laughs> and I have to thought that disclaimer, um, pumpkin over here has not gone to sleep yet, so you'll probably hear me mommying. <laughs> and we will... How that is the juggle is real. So Jeanette, thank you for coming on. I am so excited to have you on. Um, we've just been like always commenting on each other's stuff, on our stories and everything else. And more importantly, I'm excited to have a speech therapist on because I get so many speech therapy questions. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I want to start with the basic, what is a speech therapist? Great question. And I think that it is something that is very common as parents navigate um, parenting, (laughs) essentially. So um, a speech therapist is someone who evaluates, diagnoses, and treats communication disorders. So those are three things in a nutshell, evaluating a child um, and or uh, an adult to see if they have a speech and language disorder. Um, being able to diagnose it and use interventions so that that person can have that remediation. And finally, um, just treating that through, as I stated, the intervention component. Okay. And so I often get like, my kid's a late talker. So um, those out there that don't know my story, my personal story, um, my mom, was born deaf and my dad became deaf. So I wasn't necessarily a late talker and I was a preemie. So like on top of that. So I wasn't necessarily a late talker. I was just late in general because my devil, like, you know, preemies technically get like, it starts from the calendar from when you came out. And then I had three months in the incubator. So not really that much sound. And then I went to my mom who doesn't, you know, um, have a, a, a speech pattern that like most children often get. And then um, around like nine months or so, my aunt took me who is hearing. So when I was getting my master's in special ed, I literally sat there and had, like they went over, they were like, okay, we're at deaf and hard of hearing. And all of a sudden everything just clicked. Like, I was like, oh, that's why I have a hard time hearing these sounds. Like, oh, that makes more sense. I have a language processing issue. Like, oh. And um, a lot of my research, I found out that, like, many um, young people of color often are, like, diagnosed and dyslexic and dysgraphia and language processing issues because it can come up as a behavior issue or it can come up as 
my in my in my case it was more like I uh, hit it in perfectionism, so I got the best grades ever and hid half of it. Um, how much I struggled with like writing, um, hence the podcast people. <laughs> um, I do outsource my show notes, so don't come at me saying this is wrong. You know, you can tell I have last minute like email because I'm like, oh, if I'm really tired, I I can't do it. I can't decipher anymore. Um, decode. I'm done. But, you know, I now have a child who's four and, um, hold on one second. All right. I'm back. (laughs) Um, anyway, so I was just diving into that just to say, like, there's so many pathways. I feel like I could have gone with the speech needs, but, Mm. you know, I, I often come across people saying like, oh, you, because of your experience, like what do you feel like about late speakers? And I'm torn about that. And um, what type of advice do you give teachers um, who are dealing with young ones? And that can be um, three and four and five, even six and seven uh, in regards to like, if they're like, oh, I think I could do speech, but I'm still not sure. So I always suggest that if parents um, are feeling a little apprehensive or unsure that they should contact their pediatrician. Your pediatrician is going to have the developmental norms and they usually have um, the language and speech norms as well. For instance, some developmental speech norms would be that at the age three, your child should be able to um, articulate the D sound the B sound, the M sound, the N sound. Those are just four of the sounds they should be able to articulate. However, your child may be two and you may think that they are supposed to be saying those particular sounds and they aren't. You know, that is not one of the norms that are in place. We're mindful that milestones are just checkpoints and the norms are what the majority of individuals in that age range are um, presenting as or how they're functioning at that level. I completely agree. Are we back on? Yeah. Um, so I always agree that milestones are, um, are such a guideline, but, you know, the, the pressure is real. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I'd agree. And so- then we want to be mindful that some children will skip over milestones and norms and others will take more time to reach them. So um, I think it's very important that as a parent, you are being intuitive and really understanding whether um, you think your child should be doing more. Um, And I think that also comes from a place of you modeling more. You're modeling speech and language cues, and you're doing all of these different things to help facilitate a, a rich environment for your child to speak in or to communicate in and you're still not seeing any babble or anything, then definitely reach out to your pediatrician to get some clarity as it relates to where they should be developmentally. And then at that point, you can get a referral to a speech language pathologist. Yeah. And um, I would also say sometimes you got to get creative because um, for my little one, she got rejected twice from EI and she was like literally on a border every single time. 
Um, So I I, often say just to hang in there. I know it's not like (laughs) the best of advice, but um, Mm -hmm. literally just put one foot in front of me in front of another sometimes um, because sometimes that's all you can do. Um, And teachers are doing the best they can with what they got. Mm -hmm. And that's why I'm having Jeanette here because I often find that because teachers are busy, you know, um, what information can they pass down? Like what's the number one question you get about speech therapy? Mm, That's a good question to ask about the question I most frequently get, um, I would say it's going to be around those speech norms. Like what sounds should my child be saying? What um, should they be um, articulating at this point? I think that is very, very common because it's not uh, common knowledge as it relates to what your child should be doing. Like those benchmarks and milestones, they're not something that parents are privy to. So um, when their child isn't talking like their friend's child or their cousin's child, their sister's child, they're around that same age range, then they get kind of antsy and they want to know more about what they can do or what needs to be done. So a lot of it too is comparison. We see other people's children doing one thing and we're wondering why Ours are not doing that same thing. So um, I just recently finished a consult with uh, my friend's friend and her daughter was is really, really chatty. And she's been that way <laughs> for a long time since I'll say day one mm-hmm. figuratively. But um, her friend's child was not as chatty. So she called me up like, hey, we got a problem. And I'm like, okay, what's going on? And once I assess the situation a bit more, it's like, well, those are sounds she's not supposed to be saying yet. Like she can say them, um, but they're not at that, um, they're not at that milestone or that benchmark yet for her to be um, in the majority of uh, children that age who would say that sound. So I was like, yeah. Yeah. And where would you find that information? Like on the... um... You can Google developmental speech norms, but um, it was a study done in 2018 by McLeod and Crow, um, and Crow, I'm sorry. And um, they have that there. It's basically research that has been done and it exists on the American Speech Hearing Association website. Okay. So, um, yes, so actual are looking for speech, you know, speech norms and want to be able yeah. to. If you want to look up those norms, and I know that um, different districts use different norms, um, I would say to reach out to a pediatrician first, mm-hmm. but then you also have people like me online, and I'm sharing that information on a regular basis. So um, look me up. <laughs> yeah, I love, I, 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 so, everyone knows this. I love resources. You are one of my go-to resources for speech <laughs> on Instagram. And then just double checking my IP goals and just making sure I'm on track um, with students, even with my kid, because she is getting speech. <laughs> She's mm-hmm. working on a CK, CK sounds right now. <laughs> um, and- and in that same vein, I also want to kind of chat quickly about some strategies yes. to help. 
That's so um, oh that's the thing too. Perfect. I know I was talking about modeling that. Yes. Like, you know, we can't expect our child to say all of these words, these multi-syllabic words, and we're not communicating with them. We're not reading to them. Uh, we're not talking to them, having that one-to-one with them. So a couple quick strategies. Um, follow your child's lead. Get down on the ground with your baby and um, whatever they're playing with, take an interest in it. Um play with them, follow their lead, as I stated. So whatever they're doing, maybe you could do it, add some words to that. So if they're picking up the truck, you want to expand what they're doing. Oh, you're picking up the truck. Oh, the truck is going high in the sky. Oh, you're putting down the truck. The truck is going to be low to the ground. You know, you want to extend what they're doing, add that on and um, use it on a regular basis. Um, another thing that I, can um, I just often... add that you don't have to sound, um, you don't have to sound like disingenuous. You know what I mean? Like you're mm-hmm. trying to make up a story for them. You're literally uh-huh. doing what Jeanette said and just add on in a way that feels um, natural. So you can extend, you're basically extending the play. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, you don't have to before. You don't have to have an exaggerated inflection or prosody, but um, I think that when your child is small, they won't judge you. So, <laughs> so if you if you that's not until they get into teens, and then they'll start judging you like, "Mom, why are you talking that way?" But <laughs> if you're talking to your little, they'll probably enjoy it. Yeah. Um, but as as you said, Renee, do what's natural to you. Do what makes you feel okay. Um, I happen to like doing silly voices when I'm reading, you know, to switch up the characters. So like the big bad wolf, he might sound a certain way and Red Riding Hood might sound a little way. So um, that's helpful too, because as you're enunciating and articulating those words, they're listening, they're little sponges, so they're eating it all up. Yeah. Yeah. I would say my last tip um, as it relates to using strategies to help your child kind of speak is um, using or creating visual routines. So like having that nightly routine where you all sing the tooth brushing, teeth brushing song or um, singing a song or saying a few words before you read a book. Um, this reminds me of when I had a kindergarten class. They used to love uh, when I read to them and I used to sing the front of the book, the front yep. of the book. <laughs> Hi ho, library. They would just eat it up. <laughs> They're like, say it again, say it again. So, just creating a routine, and you don't have to have the best voice, right. and it doesn't even have to be you singing. It can be maybe some words of affirmation or something that um, you're doing on a regular basis, so that they um, become accustomed to it. Yeah, and I and I find that then, even if you're, um, you know tired or burnt out from whatever part of your day it's a good also reset for yourself mm-hmm. um if you might have had a long teaching day it's just a long day in general like, huh. and you know we're going through we're living in a pandemic we're in a pandemic right so <laughs> it gives it gives like you're also um self co-regulating excuse me with your class you know, with the, the class and with the kids mm-hmm. um and if you're working one-on-one like i did with seat work um, then you're also, you know, you're regulating that, like, 
feelings. Um, And it's a comfort to everyone, right? Like to know that, oh, great. Like I know know exactly what to expect. The front of the book, like there's no (laughs) surprises. At least if anything is not different. I I remember um, recently my child was on remote. She goes, where's the goodbye song? Where, where like, she's like, I see it. And she's like, where? That's not the goodbye song. We don't. That's sing not that. it, mommy. And get I it like, together. Like, no, it goes like that's good. Why goodbye? Was like, <laughs> well, she's teaching you. Yeah, and it was it was really funny because she's used to she wasn't used to doing like the early morning. She uh-huh. was used to like the Wednesday afternoon that she typically does, and I guess like. You know, it's just, it was a different person doing it. And also like, just the fact that she was just like, I know exactly what happens after this. Like, but it, they change it up for the morning a little bit. It was a little bit different. Like, cause they're going to usually see them again. I was like, they're not mm-hmm. saying, she's like, no, no, no. This, and I was like, does they have another group going like later on? And she's like, no, no. <laughs> they, they will keep you, yeah. um, keep you aligned they to will. those routines they will. just yeah. just that fyi that little disclaimer so if you start a routine you have to carry it on out because if you don't they're they're gonna put you in check about it um yeah. another thing i was thinking about <laughs> songs are an amazing thing to do yes they yeah. are yeah. i agree and in the same vein of the fact that we are currently in a pandemic i would also say you know parents consider um looking up books on your phone on youtube somebody is reading a story on youtube and you can watch it with your child and enjoy it and maybe before or after talk about the book you know that right there is seamless because it's not going to take all of your energy because we know at the end of the day sometimes you just kind of want to crash on your bed Mm-hmm. <laughs> or under the bed <laughs> yeah. and this is also a good thing to do on seesaw too like i feel like uh-huh. don't don't feel like and i know this is such like a parent tip to teachers but it's like i appreciate that you even looked up the book yeah. <laughs> and and to do something that i may not know like i mean there's tons of books out there nowadays right mm-hmm. that are being read to and different authors have their own facebook thing going on mm-hmm. one hour. And I appreciate that you know these things and that you're sharing the information. And even if you slip a question in there, yeah. <laughs> just let the conversation going, it could be simple as like, well, what do, what do you think? Well, how would you change the ending? Right? Like, how would you change mm-hmm. the ending to that book? Or what was your favorite character? Right? Um, yeah. Oh, do you think they should have said that? Mm-hmm. You know, we, we, I feel like a grownups as in that we collectively, we take, we take those things for granted. We're like, oh, we know this, right? We know this because someone taught us this, right? And, taught it and to us. So, um, right. Sometimes it's hard to remember that, especially in working with exceptional littles, right? Like, you're like, do I have to be that explicit? And sometimes you mm-hmm. just, you do, right? Like, it's not going to be obvious. I think the other day, the other day, I don't, I don't remember what we were talking about, but my husband turned to me and said, like, she doesn't know that. And I was like, oh, right. but you know what you're exposing her to some some high level thinking so So i am here for it she doesn't know it now but she will know it soon she She hear it again she's like you know what mommy you asked me this question three on three different occasions let me go ahead and give you what you want (laughs) and i and i think about like exceptional little is that people often forget that 
there are so many different types of session roles, right? You have language processing, right? You have, um, you have gifted children, right? You have twice exceptional, which is, um, they're gifted and they have Mm -hmm. another, um, it may have another tag along such as autism or dyslexic or so on and so on, ADHD. And when they're so little, milestones are going and everything is going all at once. And the reason I love intervention is probably the reason why you love it is that Mm -hmm. it helps to create these connections and like lasting foundations um, that really takes kids like beyond whatever, you know, their, their, their diagnosis is because right. A label is a label, but your child is going to be going that do that journey their whole life. It's not, you know, mm-hmm. they're not going to change who they are. So you know, well, that is true. That is true. It's all about meeting them, them where they are. Mm-hmm. Meet them exactly where they are, right? The basis of intervention. Yeah. Um, so here's my favorite uh, question I got for someone who was like, why does speech even matter? Like, why are we such a language based <laughs> culture? Um, so I'm going to throw that at you. Okay. So, Speech is the ability to express oneself. And um, when I think about speech, I think it is important for um, people to be able to convey um, messages to one another and express themselves via speech. But we also know, um, as you're blithely aware, you grew up with parents who were both um, probably using ASL. Mm -hmm. So that's a form of communication. So I think the bigger question is why is communication important? And communication is basically imparting and exchanging information. So speech is important to those who speak, but communication overall is just important for society as we are um, imparting information to one another. So, I mean, there are people who aren't able to speak. So, uh, Ultimately, you still want them to be able to access information and share their thoughts. Um, so, speech—I will say that—that's a—that's a doozy question. But um, I'm hoping that the you know the way I define no, the thing yeah. kind of helped you all frame it because um, again, speaking is important to someone who can probably hear and listen and who can speak back. But to the world of those who are um, who are deaf or hard of hearing, communication overall is going to be important to them. They want to be able to communicate. And whether that is through sign language, um, through writing it down. And um, I often tell people that captions, closed captions are so important because you're missing out on those who can't hear you. You know, you do, let's say... A, um, a Facebook live or Instagram live, and you're just talking, talking, talking. Um, you're only speaking to the community of people who can, can hear and listen. And maybe even so just those people who can speak your language, Language, you know? So, um, it's even bigger than, uh, just, you know, what you're speaking, but your language as well. So, just be cognizant of that. And yeah, and I always wanted that. to, I appreciate you saying that. And um, <laughs> it's also why, like, I try to provide really amazing show notes. Just, um, I'm trying to work on transcriptions, but 
it's a process. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's a process. process. There's so many companies that say they do what they say they do, That's and then they don't do. I know. And then it can get costly because they're capitalizing on the fact that you want a, a broader make audience. Make accessibility. Yeah, make it accessible. Yeah, so it, it can but be a the, process. But the other reason I appreciate you saying that is because technology. I've had people ask, like, well, if my child uses, you know, a device to, and I know um, you have a, um, remind me of your book name. Oh, again. so I wrote a book called Technical Difficulties, Why Dyslexic Narratives Matter in Tech. And it's mainly about different assistive technology tools and how they can be useful for someone who has a language-based learning disorder. Yeah. And so first of all, when I saw that title, I was like, I, I feel like I get that question <laughs> just as much as like, mm-hmm. is this normal? Um and I often tell people, when I'm not a speech therapist, right? Like I do the mm-hmm. whole same spiel, but also like um, in regards to devices, I often then also refer to a speech therapist because usually most speech therapists that I know are so prolific in like how to, you know, how to use it, what's the best fit. Um, mm-hmm. But the number one question I get is, well, if I give my child a device, will they then just not speak? Will they just rely on a device? Um, and what you said about communication is true is that they are still communicating. Um, and you know, I feel like that's always a number one thing, um, Mm. to pair up opposed to like thinking of it as two separate things. Right. So if you Mm. can elaborate on that, that would be great. I would love to. Yes. So we're, we're thinking about speech and language. We're thinking oftentimes about, um, augmentative and alternative communication devices. So you'll see um, they're called AAC. Um, These devices primarily help individuals who are, um, I like to say pre-linguistic because I don't often like to say non-verbal because when you add that stigma, it's like they're never going to communicate. Mm -hmm. And that's not what we want to convey. So these are individuals who are, pre-communication, like they're learning how to communicate and they're at that stage where they're getting it and they're learning. As I used the term earlier, process, it's all a process. Um, So as they're building those pre-language skills, you can consider using apps and these apps will have um, like pictures they can tap on. And once the picture is tapped on, they'll say that word. Um, And then it gets to the point where they can put the pictures in a sequence so you can request something. So, for instance, a picture of someone eating, a picture of an apple, and then um, we'll just use those two. So when they tap those two together in a sequence, it can say, I'm hungry, I'd like an apple. So I don't consider that a means of, you know, kind of being lazy or saying, oh, they'll never speak or communicate, I think um, just to kind of tap on that phrase, you're meeting them where they are and you're helping them build. Because a lot of times as they're utilizing those AAC devices, they are building up the stamina so that they can um, store those words in their repertoire and they can use them eventually. Yeah. And I would also say it benefits my inclusivity. So like it benefits all, right? Because I remember, um, and I vividly remember this in fifth grade, we had um, 
a classmate that was in a wheelchair. Unfortunately, I cannot remember um, her former diagnosis, but she had a seat device. And I remember sitting there one day and I was like, what's the word for this? And she pointed, like, I don't know. She like, she knew exactly what I was going to say. She pointed to it and I was like, oh, thank you. Like, I was completely like, that's exactly what I was going to say. And she was like, yeah, because we were talking about something. And I was like, what? What's the like? that's the thing. And she was like, I was like, described it all to her. And she's like, this is the word. I was like, thank you. Um, but like, I benefited from that, right? Like I may not have been using the device, but we were using it as a means of communication and I happen to need some assistance. So um, I don't, that really always stuck with me where I was like, yeah, like we all help each other. So um, I just always find that fascinating. And um, I know we don't have much time, but I wanted to make, I'm just going through my list of questions because I always have a ton. Um, okay. No, we, we did it. Yay. Okay. I was going to say we answered quite a few. We knocked out a, a lot of uh, questions here. So, yeah, Is there anything you wanted to add that we may not have covered um, for people with little ones? Let's see. So we talked about strategies. We talked about commonly uh, used questions, rather, right. and um, we've talked about augmentative and alternative communication yeah, devices. Okay. I'm just doing like a recap in my yeah. head so I no, can put it aloud, obviously, so, so I can think of um, anything else that I would want to add. Um, just, you know, make sure that you are providing your child with a language-rich environment. That means that you are communicating with them regularly and talking and speaking to them um, and that you are reading with them, creating routines and really just showing them that uh, you you value uh, them and uh, their communication skills will definitely start to evolve. If you have some dire concerns, then check out your um, pediatrician and start there. Definitely don't compare yourself to anyone in their family's journey. Because again, I think that's where a lot of us go wrong when we are looking at the Joneses and we're taking the attention off of what's going on in our household. So that's probably what I would add as like a recap. Yeah. And I would add um, that if you're a teacher, you know, suspecting things going on like approach it as a team right ask them uh-huh. what they're seeing in their home what are they experiencing are they you know feeling um seeing the same concerns and, and you know I start with planting the seeds and that's an episode I have and um <clears throat> I should know the slug number but I do not I'm sorry people um <laughs> I never get better at that I'm still <laughs> and I still like what's the slug number? you know what that's a that's a great point you make about um teachers because speech and language pathologists can come in to do an observation mm-hmm. if you have some concerns about one of your students and you're like hmm all of my students are doing xyz but this particular student is not you can simply um contact the SOP at your school, say, hey, is it possible you can come and observe, you know, this this child in their natural environment? And that is often a great indicator. So that kind of starts also the um, 
it starts the evaluation process. So the, the SOP can come in and observe and like, oh, they're just da 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 da, da and move on. Or they can get some indicators and say, hey, we want to do a further, you know, evaluation on this child. And then that, as I stated, will kind of get the process moving from there. Yeah. And teachers are the, I always say they're the front lines, right? Like parents are the experts of their child and teachers mm-hmm. are front lines in terms of um, often turn to advice along with pediatricians. So I feel like oftentimes if you're seeing things like say something, right? Like, and you don't mm-hmm. have to make it like, oh, I'm, 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 I'm. but mm-hmm. just in a way that um, is approachable and starting that conversation because more than likely um, a parent has been concerned and might have been sitting on it, still unsure, might not have time to see a pediatrician because we're living in a pandemic, you know, that virtual visit may be like months down, you know, or six weeks down and they're like, I need to know these things. So right. um, we're all in this together. It's just what I wanted to end it with. And Jeanette, I want to say thank you for coming on. Where can we find you? What's the best way to follow up? Awesome. So um, I am the chief academic officer of a company called Barely Articulating. And you can find me on every social media platform. Barely is going to be spelled B-E-A-R-L-Y, like an actual bear, a teddy bear. And um, I'd be happy to connect with any of you with regard to questions or um, anything else for that matter. Cool. Thank you so much. Hey there, this is Renee just popping in at the end of this um, podcast episode just to give a little bit of a reminder that you can continue the conversation with other amazing teacher littles just like yourself who are lifelong learners. And we continue the conversation at the Magic of Littles Club and Facebook group where we share lots of value, lots of ideas about um, playful solutions and intervention. Okay, that's where we rethink intervention. Catch you there. Bye.